the panel. Yes, Jamie Wallen, Ollie Ritchie with us this morning. And uh, Ollie, I'll start with you, uh, only because uh, Jamie Wall only said he'd come on the panel if I started with you and started with your Crusaders. Wow, that's a bit of a setback early. Yeah, yeah. morning, morning to you, Smithy. Morning to you, Jamie. Uh, I don't think Jamie would have got too much joy out of that as well. I know um, deep down he's a bit of a fan of, of everything the Crusaders are about. So sort of, sort of a tough weekend for, for Jamie as well. But look, they were just outplayed. The, the Chiefs were dominant. Um, you know, you got the feeling at, at half time that, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't vintage Crusaders or Chiefs footy. And, um, but I don't think anyone saw that second half coming. The, the Crusaders just couldn't find their way in, into the contest. They played none of the rugby because the Chiefs didn't allow them to play any of the rugby. They camped them inside uh, their own 22 and yeah, the Chiefs got the rewards for it. So um, look, titles aren't won in February uh, and the Crusaders will be better for that. I'd say it'll probably be a, a tough week at Rugby Park in Christchurch this week. Certainly not uh, an ideal way to, to start things. Certainly not when you've got a coach who's um, trying to convince the New Zealand rugby board that he should be getting the head coach job for the All Blacks. So uh, not not great, but um, yeah, long season ahead. Was that the standout performance of the weekend, uh, the Chiefs for you, Jamie Wall, or perhaps the Blues, or even the Hurricanes away from home? Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, I, I was told that I had to be nice to Ollie when I came on, so I will I will agree with them that uh, titles aren't won in February, and you'd be foolish to to write off the Crusaders uh, this early in the season. Um, if it comes to standout performances, I, I'd say so um, from the Chiefs, just simply because of the way they went about it. I don't think the, the Blues pacing the Highlanders um, was any surprise to anyone. I think the, the way they did it was incredibly impressive. Uh, and I think that there's enough talent in the Hurricanes to suggest that we could be seeing more scorelines from them if they can keep their consistency, which is obviously something that they've historically uh, struggled to do. Um, but and However, I, I feel that the fact that the Chiefs are, get, are coming in fit uh, for, the, for one of the first times ever, they've got an absolutely stacked team. So them winning wasn't a surprise. It was just the way that they took the game off the Crusaders. And when we talk about these new laws, even though the laws about speeding the game up aren't actually new, they're just enforcing them for the first time, um, what I think we saw happening that really played into the Chiefs' hands was the Crusaders couldn't rely on their, their line-out huddle, uh, which meant that they couldn't control the tempo of the game. And it's something that Scott Robertson talks about a lot, is that you want the other team to be reacting to what you do and, and you play the game on your terms. And just that little slight little tweak meant that they couldn't actually do that and I, and I think that the Chiefs, Clayton McMillan obviously prepared his side a lot better for it than Scott Robertson did. And so after the last few weeks we've had of the coaching um, debate, um, that was a real black mark in Scott Robertson's uh, in the copybook because, you know, that's something that he should have really realised was going to be a big factor coming into that game. Right. Um, in terms of those new rules, can I ask you, um, uh, ask you, Wally, uh, the number eight, a uh, bit more freedom um, to, to get off the back of a scrum. We're, we're looking at perhaps, as um, uh, as Jamie pointed out, um, referees being a little bit more liberal um, in a couple of areas. What, what did you What did you make of the, the weekend's action in general? Were, were there any bugbears for you? No, I think the, I think the um, the speed of the game was was good. Um, I think the ball and play time for the Crusaders Chiefs game was like 
40 odd minutes, 41 minutes potentially, which is quite high. So um, it gets a tick in, in that regard. And if the referees can get out of the way at scrum time so we can see big, powerful number eights running off the back of the scrum, uh, that'd also be really good because. I think, you know, like gone are the days uh, in previous years where, where that was happening, obviously, because, you know, they were being pestered by the halfback. Um, so I'm a fan of that. Um, I, I like the, the tempo of the game. I think, um, you know, put a shot clock on, on the big screen at, at scrum time, line-out time, penalty time, so that everyone knows um, how long they've got. You know, it, it's, it might not add anything on the field, but, you know, at the very least, it might be entertaining for those standing in the, in the crowds. Um uh, anything to speed the game up and get the PMO out of the referees here um, is, is a win in my mind. So uh, I think a successful opening weekend, um, you know, a good quality of rugby, good results, good upsets, uh, good storylines. So I think Super Rugby bosses will be relatively pleased uh, with how the opening weekend played out. It's only a very small sample size, uh, Jamie, but... Um We've always remarked about the gulf between uh, our sides and Australia. Um, Eddie Jones sitting up in the stand there couldn't have been too happy with what he saw out of the Reds, who traditionally uh, are pretty tough to beat. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what Eddie would be more worried about, the form of, his, of those super, uh, Australian Super Rugby teams or the fact that all of his assistants seem to be uh, walking off the job. Uh, so it hasn't been the greatest uh, week week for him. Uh, again, though, like I said about the Crusaders, it is a bit early to judge uh, what you know how this season's going to go. But if we don't see some sort of improvement from the Australian teams, it's going to it's just going to be another thing that kind of just eats away at the legitimacy of the competition a little bit. I did like what I saw out of the Brumbies. Uh, they they are always probably going to be the, the toughest Australian team um, coming into the season, and the Waratahs didn't look sort of too bad either. Um, so I think the Brumbies at home might be a bit of a tough ask for the likes of the Highlanders and perhaps Hurricanes as well. But, you know, it, it's, it, it, it is early days, but the signs aren't great for any of the Australian sides to be knocking on the door of, um, of uh, the semifinals. Right. Well, this time last year, of course, um, Warren Gatlin had an overseeing role with the Chiefs. Uh, he's since moved back to Wales, but... He's under uh, some real pressure uh, early on in uh, his new tenure here, um, I, I think, Ollie. So, wow, uh, Wales got to some serious amount of work to do and not a lot of time to do it. Yeah, well, he inherited a mess, didn't he, off the field uh, as well as on it. Um, and he hasn't been able to do anything with that mess in his, his opening three games. Um, I wish someone had told me that watching the replay of England-Wales uh, was going to be as, about as dull um, as it was because I wouldn't have bothered otherwise. Uh, that was not a great uh, product or or a great advertisement for, for rugby, full stop. But yeah, Warren Gatlin has a huge clean-up job on his hands and you can pretty much write this year off. They're not going to do anything at the World Cup. They're not even, they're not even going to come close to being competitive. Um, so he's got to look at this through a very, very much with a long-term lens, you know, a two- to three yeah, possibly even four-year rebuild through to, to 2027. Um, I think that has to be his target. The Welsh Rugby Union needs to clean up its mess off the field um, so that Warren Gatlin can attempt to turn things around on it um, because it, it hasn't looked good so far. Um, and, he's, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a big clean-up job on his hands. 
Okay, we've got uh, Ollie Ritchie with us this morning. We've got Jamie Wall. We'll take uh, a short break. Uh, there's a little bit more rugby to talk about and uh, a little matter too of a cricket test about to start in about two minutes' time, day four at the Basin Reserve. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, Jamie Wall and uh, Ollie Ritchie with us this morning. Jamie, uh, often I, I watch quite a bit of uh, Six Nations rugby, but I'm watching quite a bit more this year on the basis that the top two seeds for the World Cup are right smack in the middle of it, Ireland and France. Uh, of what you've seen so far, um, have you seen anything to detract from those seedings? Not really, no. Uh, the, both of those teams are playing good footy at the moment. I think over the weekend, though, I think the standards kind of slipped with the, with the Six Nations. Um, a little bit, Ollie just alluded to it before, that Wales versus England game was an absolute dirge fest, uh, especially after watching those Super Rugby games um, overnight. Uh, and uh, Ireland didn't play at their best, but still got a win over what was a pretty plucky um, Italian team uh, in, in Rome. Um, and then this morning, obviously, we saw a pretty interesting game uh, because Scotland and France were both reduced to 14 players after, I think, about 10 minutes. Uh, so that was that was, that was was an interesting one to watch. But at the same time, France still rallied, got the job done. Uh, and those two teams have already played each other. It was a very good game um, in Dublin. Uh, mm. But at the moment, to your, to your original point, yeah, it, it is still looking like it's going to be those two that are going to be the ones to beat uh, at the World Cup. So... And they are most likely going to be, you know, obviously the All Blacks are playing France in the in the opening game, and then likely to be playing Ireland in a, in a quarterfinal. So, you know, keeping an eye on the way that they're tracking, given how quickly things can change uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, I think that this season we're definitely seeing a lot more stability from the from the top teams up there. I think we've seen in previous World Cup seasons that things can go completely haywire during the Six Nations. You know, like if you looked at England's form through 2017, 2018. Um, by the time they it came round to uh, the end of that 2018 season, they were absolutely down and out. And then by the time they obviously got to the World Cup, they managed to rectify everything back to the point where they're making the final. So you know, a lot of things can can happen between between now and then. A lot of things can happen between now and the end of the actual tournament itself. Um, but there's only one thing for sure uh, in this in this one, or well, two things: that Wales are rubbish, and um, Ireland and France are going to be battling out for that um, for that winning winning spot. Ollie Ritchie, uh, we're about um, half an over into day four at the Basin Reserve. England have a brand spanking new ball in their hand. They've got Anderson uh, using it. Uh, and Kane, do we trust still? Oh, I think we, we definitely still trust in Kane, and, and you know he's performed um, incredibly well over the over the last few years. Well, really, you know, since he came into the side, so he deserves the chance to bat his way out of this little rut. That he's in, but yeah, there are massive concerns over this team. Are there somebody? I mean, how many lives does Henry Nichols have? Because he, like, if he if he doesn't perform today, and um, you know, there's, there's nothing in his form at the moment to suggest he will. How can they continue to pick him? You know, I know Gary said um, it must have some kind of can tab policy or, or something like that because Henry Nichols just continues to underperform and continues to get picked in such an important role. For the Black Caps, so you know I've got massive concerns over him. It was nice to see uh, the openers get both get scores, and, and I'm sure both 
Latham and Conway will be disappointed not to turn it into a bigger one. Um, yeah, but I've got big concerns over uh, over Henry Nichols and, and his form because it feels like we've been having the same conversation around him for quite some mm. time, and he sort of seems to, to bat his way out of it with a plucky 60 or 70 uh, against an, an average team. So, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing some change there because I think he's just been underperforming for too long. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, and I, I kind of think that already, though, um, he's done enough um, to supplant uh, the possibility of an invasion from Will Young, who failed twice in this test match. Just knowing the way that uh, Gavin Larson and Gary Stead think, I, I think he's probably shown enough fight in both innings to help himself out greatly there. What, what, do, you, what, have you, uh, what do you make of it, Jamie? I mean, I, I look at this um, in a positive light. I'm trying to th- look it through Baz's glasses, actually. If we can bat all day to day, we can win the test. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but that was the scenario in the last one as well. And look what happened there. I mean, I'm, I, my feelings towards this, as someone who grew up in the 1990s, is all feeling quite horribly familiar that we've kind of reached the end of an era and that there's been very little succession plan uh, put in place. And Smithy, you know, you know this all too well because you were a part of, uh, you know, like a, an outstanding New Zealand team at the at mid to late 80s. Uh, and then by the time the early to mid-90s happened, um, you know, all of all of the good things that have been put in place there have sort of fallen away, and you're relying on one or two guys to go out there and score your runs and get your wickets. And if they either don't fire or they're injured, uh, then they then all hope is lost. And it feels, like I said, it, it just reminds me of that kind of horrible time when you're like, well, you know, hopefully it might rain, or, you know, we, we'll get a pitch that will suit us, and you're relying on things on factors that are kind of uh, outside the actual playing group itself and and that's not the way you should be approaching test cricket I, I liked it a lot better when you could go and knowing that these guys someone if, if one guy failed someone else would step up and get a ton or or five wickets or whatever because the at the moment I, I think the runs are, are, are there um, but I don't think the wickets are uh, at the moment but uh, you know I'd be interested to know if it feels the same way for you as it does for us uh, who, mm. who were growing up in that time Oh look, I, I I just think that um, the succession plan um, they were regarded as not having to be uh, as good as what they I think are realising now because you, you lose someone of the capability of Trent Bolt. In fact, I'll always uh, question this. I don't know what the negotiations were, but um, I, I go back to the point that he could have played at least one of these test matches because at the end of the day, he is a product for hire. And surely we've got enough money to pay him to play in one or two test matches. So, uh, to me, I, you know, we're sadly lacking there. We are sadly lacking, and and I think it'll, in the end it'll it'll wear away at Tim Southey's ability because he hasn't got a sparring partner, his reliable sparring partner at the other end. And there's a lot to be said for bowling in tandem, um, and there is no tandem with Southey anymore, and there still is no spinner, uh, and that's the worry that worries me uh, if we do. Perhaps Ollie get to a point where uh, England needs 180 to 230, uh, which would be looking at a very positive aspect of it. Uh, who's going to get him out on the fourth innings? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Smithy. You know, and Tim Southey can't do it all on his own. Um, and you know, the, the, the Trent Bolt selection or, or non-selection is is a bit of a wider issue. But there's been no one else to call upon when we don't have Trent Bolt, you know, it's like, where, where's the next seam bowler 
coming from. You know, it's not Blair Tickner, it's not Scott Kugeline. You know, it doesn't feel like we've got anyone. It feels like, you know, Neil Wagner's almost getting past his best as well and, you know, continuing to, to put it in short like he loves doing. But, you know, the England batters are just eating that up. So, um, you know, it, it, you look at the, this test at the base and 21 for three, we have them. And then they go on with, um, and, and put a you know two hundred odd run partnership on. We just we don't know how to break it. We can't break through. So um, yeah, tough times. And like you say, you know if we are by some miracle in, in contention on day five, then then who's going to get our wickets? Because you know Tim Southey can't do it all all on his own. And you know Matt Henry's Matt Henry's great, but you know he's, he's not Trent Bolt. So yeah, some concern. And yeah, we don't really have a, a front line spinner, do we? I mean. Thought he showed he bowled well in, in Pakistan, but obviously woefully different conditions to, to what he's going to have to bowl in here. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, period coming up for New Zealand cricket. Uh, sevens, just touching on the sevens, uh, Jamie, as well. Uh, All Black Sevens uh, knocked over by uh, Samoa, so we have to play Great Britain um, later today. And we have to get used to uh, sevens with no possibility of them playing in New Zealand for quite some time and without the women's sevens team as well, uh, it just kind of, it fades a wee bit, doesn't it? Was it just because Super Rugby kicked in? Uh, well, it's, it's obviously faded because I, I think that, that that game's already happened. I think we beat oh, okay. already, you unless, unless your, your news report was wrong. So, But I mean, yeah, that kind of sums it up a little bit, that it, that it is kind of feeling like a bit of an afterthought and it is interesting that you bring up uh, the fact that the Blackburn sevens aren't there because they definitely add to the uh, the spectacle and the interest level um, when these tournaments, and just having a men's only tournament anymore is just like barely even enough to raise uh, raise a mention, but yeah, you said that um, obviously it's gone from New Zealand shores now, what that means for the future of the of the game, I mean, the, the, you know, the All Black Sevens and the Black Fences are still going to be a thing, because it's a, it's a player pathway uh, for, especially for the women. Um, and, it, and it allows like employment options for for good young players. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know what the future of this this series is going to be looking like. And the more and more I think about it, the more it just kind of feels like they just needed an excuse to kind of cut Hamilton off the um, off the venue list uh, and then and shift it to perhaps Australia or so or somewhere else in the, in the US. But yeah, it's uh, like you said. It's it's becoming a little bit of an afterthought, um, but at the same time, you know, I'm still going to be interested if they, if they make the final, um, and you know, I'll, I'll tune in and watch it because it is at a good friendly time, um, at least for New Zealanders. Absolutely right, twenty four twelve. So there you go, it slipped under my radar. A bit Great Britain, twenty four twelve. So uh, they now play um, Australia. Yeah, and they uh, Australia thumped Ireland 31-7. Yeah, thanks for that update. Um, shows how much I know. Uh, Jamie Wall and Ollie Ritchie, thank you very much, gentlemen. All eyes on the Basin Reserve today. Thank you very much for your summation of the weekend's action.